joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, my good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. It's a uh, it's another top ten day. I yeah. think out there a little bit of rain, but uh, oh gosh, I was talking to a farmer yesterday, and he said, "Let the rain come." Yep, so he was happy to get as much as we could. I want to uh, say thank you to all the folks that gathered when I honored a fellow by the name of Dave Olerud, of uh, originally from Boyd, Minnesota. Boyd is home of uh, good time days. Uh, also to the Haynes Alaska Public Library, to the American Bald Eagle Foundation, the Haynes Tourism Department, and Sue Chasen, all for allowing me to uh, uh, bloviate. Bloviate? Bloviate. <laughs> bloviate. Various things. I might have been bloviating, too. <clears throat> so it was uh, fun being in their company. And thanks, uh, everybody. I uh, had a number of folks stop while I was ringing bells for the Salvation Army and said they listened to AMSU, so I Yay. appreciate that. And happy Thanksgiving, just in case I forget to say it later on, because sometimes we forget to say things we should. Uh, lots of flowers are blooming in the middle of November, or is past the middle of November now in my yard. Uh, they're dandelions, <laughs> so that's what I'm having. But, you know, they bloom on pretty short stems now mm -hmm. compared to what we see in the summer. So, they, boy, there's a reason that we have dandelions. They are persistent. Hardy. A, yeah, a caller yesterday said uh, raccoons got into her garbage can, and I said they were seeking canned goods, <laughs> I would think, that they would probably be giving to the Salvation Army, so that's why they're out there. I saw a pair of bald eagles on, on a nest site in Alaska in November. One was actually perched on the edge of the nest, and the other on a branch just a few feet away. I've seen that in Minnesota in November, too. Uh, why are they doing that? They aren't going to nest now. I think they come in to do a little repair or remodeling, saying, you know, I've been thinking about this since uh, we fledged the young ones, and I think we could use another stick right there. Or maybe it's just a bonding practice. Uh, they come back and say, you know, I'll... I'll got to be here like in January or something to get going on all this. So it, it's just really neat to see them there. Uh, Chad Hines. Chad Hines is heavily involved with the Hawk Watch in uh, Mankato area. He said we had little movement in the last three days. Most of it's been bald eagles, but there's been some northern harriers, sharp shin hawks, red tails, rough legs, and one golden eagle. We have a month remaining and the promise of cold weather. Once lakes begin freezing up north and snow covers the ground, there will be some additional raptors pushing south. I'm not sure if 20,000 raptors is still possible for the season, but we should ec eclipse the 19,000 bird mark this week. We go until December 15th. <clears throat> so uh, there's a bunch of... Uh, Oh, dedicated just doesn't quite seem to be a big enough word for them, but they're they're out there looking at looking at the skies. You know, I was astounded uh, this by the the number of hawks and eagles that we saw driving up to the cities. We were going up on 
let's see, Sunday. Sunday we went up to the Twin Cities, and on the way up there we just saw hawks and eagles and all sorts of things, and we just commented how many we'd seen. And my husband, he's from Owatonna originally, he says, you know, as a kid we just never saw eagles, and now we see them all the time. Boy, that is, uh, they are re- a remarkable success story as far as uh as the numbers that have grown, uh, I did not see them as a child. Uh, I think I was 14 before I saw one around here. So I saw them in, of course, movies and film strips and TV shows and uh, all the the wonderful world of Disney and uh, those kind of things. So I saw those a lot. But, you know, it's not like seeing them in real life. So it is cool to why, see them out Why there. do we see some, so many now? Is it hunting issues or what is it that has brought so many back yeah education sure has a a, like it does in everything played a big part but oh ddt doing Uh. away with ddt and uh, just a realization that i don't believe i would call the bald eagle our national bird but it is our national symbol i don't think it's ever been declared our national bird and you can look it up online, and there'll be a million and some things that'll say our national bird, the bald eagle. But I don't know where there was ever legislation or anything declaring it as our national bird, but it has been our national symbol forever. So it's very important for us to for us to see them and say, "Wow, this is just an amazing thing to see these birds." Our good friend Tom Jessen, TJ of St. Peter, said on November 14th and 15th, snakes were still moving in November. Tom says, I rode my bike up the Ottawa Road that's northeast of St. Peter and found 10 dead garter snakes. On the 16th, with temperature reaching 68 degrees, I biked the rabbit road east of St. Peter and found a single live juvenile red belly snake. Strangely enough, I didn't see any dead ones from the previous two days. Any snakes seen above ground in November is still an unusual occurrence, but of course that will be changing along with the climate. Now where are they yeah. hiding then? Because I was, you know, working in the gardens and things, and I, I know that I have garter snakes around there, and I didn't come across any, so do they go underground? Do they, where are they? Yeah, they find a hibernaculum. It can be uh, growing up on the farm I grew up on. It was an old deserted well, and they would get down in there and spend the winter down in there. But, you know, it could be under rocks, under Hmm. uh, wherever they can find a place suitable to to survive our winters. But it doesn't have to be really warm, though, because they're cold-blooded. So how is there a temperature that that has to be before they, I guess, freeze to death? You know, I don't know how cold they can take or if that varies from snake to snake. Uh, Mm. I don't know that. I I know TJ would know it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what the exact temperature there would be. I do know that he sent some photos of the red belly snake, which is one of my favorite snakes. These are tiny little things. Uh, They could be mistaken for a night crawler if you see one from any distance. They're just so tiny. So uh, thank you for that. Got a couple things from Jim Myers of Mankato. Said, Al, I feed bird suet year-round. I pretty much have birds on it from light to dark. 
Even the crows come do it now. I switched to plain beef suet from the meat market because the squirrels were eating the store-bought kind with peanuts in it. Even in those square green suet feeders, they would open the top or try to carry the whole thing away. Now I secure the feeder to the tree because the raccoons and possums try to carry it away, too. I made a simple feeder out of chicken wire that seems to work best. I worry a bit about suet getting rancid in the summer, but I, I don't think it's a problem. What are your thoughts on this? <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, Jim, it's cool that you're feeding them. Uh, suet can soften. I, I've seen the blocks that just kind of almost sort of melt a little bit. Those are the store-bought ones. And uh, I don't know how much. It would foul birds' plumage in hot weather, perhaps, or it certainly could become rancid. It's a good idea maybe to take down suet feeders in extremely hot weather. And it's a good idea that raw or homemade suet maybe not be offered on those extremely hot days. I know I read uh, one package, a suet manufacturer said that their blocks will withstand 100 degree temps or higher without melting. However, I would worry that they still might go rancid if extreme high temperatures persist. And Jim added, he said, some time ago, I wrote to you about a cemetery up north near Dorset where they had a serious problem with the sod being rolled up and damaged by skunk. <clears throat> I asked you about it, and you thought it might be raccoons. He sent me a photo, and that's why I thought it was raccoons. He said, I am happy to report some brave souls staked out the cemetery one moonless night and caught numerous masked bandits arriving to continue their foray for grubs, etc. There are some in the Northland now who consider you somewhat of a rodent genius. <laughs> well, thanks, Jim. Uh, I'm going to put that on my resume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ellendale Jim Loggison. Jim said, we have a window feeder filled with black sunflower seeds very active and fun to watch however i've noticed some birds will grab a seed and fly off such as a nuthatch and chickadees on the other hand other birds such as sparrows finches and house wrens will sit and open seeds and leave the empty shells in the feeder making it difficult for other birds to find a new seed it also makes it difficult for me to know when to refill the feeder is there any way to teach those lazy birds to clean up after themselves? Also, we put a feeder on my mother-in-law's porch at a local nursing home. She seems to really enjoy the company. Uh, Jim, boy, I depend upon the wind to remove the shells from my platform feeders. Uh, it works pretty well for me. It's uh, one nice thing about living in a windy place. You could uh, put out a small broom or maybe a very small vacuum cleaner and see if they do anything with it, but probably not. They, they might get the hint, but they're not going to do anything. I wish I had a good way to get those out of there. I, I don't know of one. Uh, and I want to add, Jim, that's mighty nice. Mighty nice of you and your wife to put up a feeder for your mother-in-law. That's it's just a sweet thing because uh, it, it's company. So it's a wonderful thing. 
This, uh, oh, Kathy Brandt from Wyndham. This has nothing to do with, <clears throat> well, this has nothing to do with much of anything, but it was nice of her, and at Thanksgiving, I'm very thankful that she sent this. Again, it's Kathy Brandt. She's from Wyndham. She says, hi, Al, I fell in love with your writing when I was working at the Sentinel Tribune out of Westbrook, Minnesota. Since I don't work there anymore, I don't get your column and I miss them. Oh. Have you ever considered publishing your columns in books? I would love to add something like that to my library. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's awfully nice, Kathy, and I have considered it, and I'm being prodded by a number of <laughs> uh, wonderful readers, so uh, I hope to find the time. Uh, Taryn Israel Nekanicki said, my 14-year-old daughter, Aeneas, and I hope I got that pronunciation correct. If I don't, a thousand apologies. Took this video today through our kitchen window, which is near our bird feeders. Is it a hawk? Is it eating a woodpecker? She was horrified, but also we've never seen a bird of prey in our tiny backyard. I had no idea a hawk had such a beautiful tail like a pheasant. Uh, Taryn, uh, Cooper's hawks are prospering in urban areas, and their preferred prey can be readily found there. Rock pigeons, morning doves, Eurasian collared doves. And I watched a coop chase some house sparrows under a minivan while a downy woodpecker froze in place, trying to be invisible. Freezing in position is a common strategy for the woodpecker, the downy, as woodpeckers aren't fast flyers. If the bird... It's the bird's best defense, hoping to escape a predator's notice. A woodpecker has a slow, undulating flight, and it isn't a good escape mechanism, which, sadly, this woodpecker in your video found out too late. So they, um, Cooper's honks are good, and they do have that long tail. Uh, last week, we got something from a five-year-old Lily. Wanted to know how many pecks it would take a red-bellied woodpecker to get to the inside of a tree. And I thought in my mind, you know, we get those uh, that cartoon bubble above our head that <laughs> meant way to the inside. But, you know, actually, it was a wonderful question, and it would depend, of course, if the bird used power tools or not. But it it takes seven to ten days for a pair of red-bellied woodpeckers to carve a foot-deep nesting home in mm. a dead tree but if they're foraging lily if they're just looking for something to eat and if there's no bark on the tree it would take a second like a single peck without the bark and they would be inside the tree really so uh, instead of thinking way in the middle as i was to get inside the tree probably a single peck mm. and if there's bark on, in place then it would uh, It'd be slightly longer, but it wouldn't take them very long. They can make that bark fly. So that's, uh, I hope, Lily, that's a little better answer to your wonderful questions. Uh, I've got a text from a listener saying, are black squirrels a separate species? We see a lot of black squirrels, or at least I do. Uh, they're, they are gray squirrels wearing uh, black coats. And... They're the same size, they're just like gray squirrels, but to my mind and to others I've heard from, they tend to exhibit more aggressive behavior than the gray squirrels. I don't know why that is. I don't think it's, um, I have a friend that feeds them all the time, and he said, 
Oh, the black ones, they rule the roost. They chase the gray ones away. And so uh, I guess it's just not me. I should check with, what is it, Kent State University is known for its black squirrel population. And the blacks, black color results from two recessive genes coming together. So if a dominant gene gray squirrel mates with a recessive gene black squirrel, the offspring will be gray. Two black squirrels produce black offspring. So uh, like my friend that feeds these, Phil Morheim, he has black squirrels mating with other black squirrels, so he gets more black squirrels. How about fox squirrels? You see black? I don't. I've seen the larger fox squirrels with black on their heads in North Carolina. The whole head wasn't black, but they had a lot of black on the head, and I guess that's a fairly common thing to see in some areas, and that North Carolina was one of them. So, uh, boy, that's a long answer. They are not a separate species. They are gray squirrels, and again, they're just dressed in black, and they are beautiful. I uh, carry a camera. I have taken more photos of black squirrels I've never had one photo do them justice. They're just uh, exquisite animals. See, Al, I have a whole list of text of questions and observations from people. Is it a good time to do that right now? Oh, only if I can ask you first how, how to wash a chipmunk. <laughs> well, let me tell you how to wash a chipmunk. Uh, this happened over the weekend. My husband was in the garage, and there was a, a pile of some blankets and some sheets that we use you know occasionally if it gets cold and we want to protect the plants from frost and things and so we thought oh this kind of smells bad so he he grabbed this pile of the the blankets and the sheets and he threw them in the washing machines you know and washed them like usual and uh my son and i were in the other room watching football or something and all of a sudden in the laundry room we heard this big scream ah! and then this big thunk and we thought, what in the heck? We thought Jeff was hurt, my husband. And so my son Grant goes, Dad, are you okay? And and I said, what's going on? And so we went out there, and sure enough, on the floor was this thing, I this creature. That's what the thunk was. It had fallen on the floor. Apparently, he hadn't shook out the blanket and the sheet before he put them in the washer to get rid of the smell. Uh. So the squirrel went through the wash cycle, the entire wash cycle. And I don't know how this works, but it was the most bloated thing I've ever seen. Obviously, lots of water. It almost looked like it had, you know, like was in a womb, like the, the outside was all like this big water-filled bubble around it or something. And oh my goodness, Al, I have never smelled anything so awful and jeff yelled get some plastic or get some paper towels and then a little bit later get a get a plastic bag so <laughs> so anyway it was just the horrible horrible smell he threw away the blankets and he threw away the sheets and um put that chipmunk in the the plastic bag and threw it away so i'm assuming it must have been dead which is why there was a smell in that pile in yep. the first place but what would have caused it just to die in the garage i remember earlier this year I was I would be in the garage and I would hear it because it would be in the, the the carrots or things we had kind of you know put aside and it would be chewing on them which we were not happy with, but it was just dead in the pile of blankets apparently. So what would have caused that? We don't have poison or anything, so we were just curious. Sure, I remember uh, helping milk the cows when I was just a little uh, blonde, blue-eyed toddler, 
And uh, I don't know why I asked. I suppose I'd uh, heard in church or something about Sunday school, and I said, Dad, will will you and Mom die someday? Aww. You know, because you just think everything, and Dad says, you know, son, everything dies, and that includes chipmunks. And oh. why would they be in a place like that? I suppose animals and birds, when they feel sick or they're injured, they try to hide. They go someplace, and, you know, it's just like, who out there has not been sick and said, I need to go to bed? And that's just, you know, it's kind of a hiding place sometimes for some of us. We just go there, and we we feel that comfort of the bed, and we hope we'll get better. And I would guess that's what happened to the chipmunk. It just said, I, I just, I'm not doing well, and who knows what got it. You know, maybe it was just an old, old chipmunk, but... Well, maybe it uh, ate too much food and it died of being stuffed from all the nice veggies and things it ate in my garage. Too much tomato juice, maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's the story. Don't wash a chipmunk in the washer because, number one, it looks gross. Number two, it'll scare <laughs> no. your husband almost to death. No. And number three, no. the stench is horrible, and he had to run some stuff through, the, some special washing machine cleaning stuff through it to try and get rid of that smell on really long cycle and throw away the blankets and the the sheets that we used to cover the plants because there was no way we were going to deal with that so and it's not a pretty sight just trust me and jeff you know only a man would wash a chipmunk i have to (laughs) just so well you know what's so ironic about it is because whenever i'm going to do laundry he goes make sure you take the stuff out of your pockets make sure you don't leave anything in the pockets you know kleenex or whatever because i'm notorious for that Uh, well now wouldn't you shake the blankets and the sheets out I guess not. So, anyhow. <laughs> I probably not. I'm a man, so. Right. You know. We're in a hurry. We're on a schedule. Right. Well, anyway, here's here's the, I've got, a, I think, one, two, three, five uh, text here. The first one. Cool. Hi, Karen. I made up a nickname for a cornstalk leaves that come up out of the ditch and blow across the road and look like something running across the road. I call them corn ghosts. Okay, <laughs> nice one. That's from yeah, Tony. We all see that, right. don't we, around this time of year, these sharp, like, machetes being thrown across <laughs> the road by the wind. Uh, no, I don't know who that's from. He says, oh, it's, uh, yeah, for Batman, he calls you. And yep. from Tony, hi, Karen, question for Al. We put a suet feeder in the yard. So far, nothing. Any suggestions? Um. It depends on how long you've had it there, Tony. If you've had it for uh, quite a while, maybe move it slightly. You know, where birds, you know, where birds are, where you see birds, if you have a feeder up and it's a busy feeder, maybe move it a little bit closer till the birds get used to it. Uh, make sure the suet is good. Uh, not rancid or something. I'm sure it's not, or you wouldn't have put it out there. But maybe just try to move it a little bit and uh, then put, like, a sign on it, free suet. You know, that's those free signs work. Okay, and our friend Jack has a question. He goes, regarding today's show with Albat, I have been using the new app to scroll back to the earliest birding um, with bat shows that are on the menu. It was. I was very intrigued by the fact that Al was associated with Boone and Erickson on WCCO back in the day, including writing for some skits. I re- I'd enjoy hearing more about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Jack, thanks. Yeah, Boone and Erickson, for those that don't remember them, were, uh, they had the most popular 
radio show in Minnesota, and that was bef- before Karen Wright took over that crown. <laughs> <laughs> Boone and Erickson were on WCCO, and they were listened to by everybody. Uh, a lot of folks around my neighborhood were had two religions. Uh, Luth- they were Lutheran, and they were WCCO listeners. That was kind of their two religions. And they did a lot of uh, funny stuff about Ludafisk and Minnesota Hospital and all these kind of things. Uh, they also had Steve Cannon who was on WCCO that did voices. And I used to just write little lines for them, and they would uh, involve them in some of their skits. And I got to be on stage with them at the, at the state fair as a hick from Heartland. And I will say this, uh, Charlie Boone and Roger Erickson, who uh, Roger would talk about the Bernadotte International Airport, so he was born in that area. And they were the the nicest people who uh, treated a young fellow really kindly, and I appreciated their uh, uh, their advice and uh, kind of the way they uh, helped me lead my life to where it is. So they they were just you know people come into our lives, Jack. We all have them, and we don't always know why things are the way they are, but um, we have that hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back, and they uh, they taught me many things. So uh, all our teachers aren't in schools. I had wonderful teachers, but I had great teachers elsewhere. So thanks for bringing that up, Jack, and thanks for listening to that old stuff. <laughs> right, I agree, and thanks for yeah subscribing to all those podcasts because it's a great way to go back and listen. And we don't have all of them because you've been on 40 years, but ever since we've been able to do the digital, we've been putting them in there. All yeah, right. I I'll... hear from a lot of people from all over creation that are are doing that so I, I appreciate it okay jennifer hello ma'am please ask the bird guy about the ethics of putting out bird feeders with indoor outdoor cats we would love to put out some feeders but i'm worried that i would be setting the dinner table for our fatty fat felines they're chonky but they catch stuff what are your thoughts uh, yeah, and it's, uh, I'm a cat owner. I, who, you don't own a cat. I mean, the cat, cat on owns staff you. <laughs> is what I am. I just have no say in that. But we have this cat that uh, we've pretty much always had a cat, and uh, we have an orange one now. And uh, it loves watching the birds. And it seems, you know, it's not declawed. So if it was outside, it can uh, it, it goes between two things. It can be sweet or a demon seed. That's kind of the cat's life, going between those two things. If I let it outside, it would be catching birds. I have there's just no doubt. It gets at the window and goes, "Oh my goodness, would it eat them?" No, it's it can't eat all the food it has, so it doesn't need more food. But it's instinctual for cats to do that. So, yeah, it's tough putting up. uh, You'd have to put them up high. Uh, If you can hang the feeders high enough where a cat can't jump up, uh, maybe if the cats are fat enough, they can't (laughs) jump quite so high. Your cats, Jennifer. (laughs) And, you know, Jennifer, they say put a bell around a cat. Well, that doesn't do any good. just irritates a cat. Uh, The birds don't. 
they don't hear that bell and think cat. It's just, <laughs> they, they don't think that. That doesn't, their brain doesn't put those two things together. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It's just the way their brain works. So uh, it, it is problematic to have a feeder if you have cats that roam around outside. So you are correct there, Jennifer. But I, I hope you're able to find, if you do put up a feeder, a kind of a safe location where the cats wouldn't be able to, to get to it. All right, Jennifer, this is, and Al, this is going to sound weird, but there is a thing called cat bib, and my vet told me about this. And the cat bib was invented by a bird feeding cat-loving gardener in Springfield, Oregon, after collars with bells and other deterrents didn't work. It's a unique patented product that protects all wild birds, including songbirds and other wildlife whenever the cat is outdoors. And they have several sizes. It's a safe and proven effective, and there's pictures of it, and it looks like just a basic weird bib that has a Velcro attachment, strong stitching, durable neoprene, and highly visible, and basically it prevents your cat from attacking birds. And my vet suggested I use it because my older cat, uh, my 12-year-old cat, attacks my 8-year-old cat and beats the... Well, I don't know. I'm sorry. My 8-year-old beats the crap out of my, my 12-year-old cat. And so she said, well, maybe you could try the cat bib. And I said, the cat what? <laughs> and there is, and they have all sorts of colorful designs. So, so Google cat bib. And um, it, that's what it says. They, they've got the, the perfect collars that stay on, and it's also got safety. So if you, know, if you need to fall off, which can happen if they get tangled or something. So, and they've got pictures of cats with the bib showing that how the birds <laughs> they can't get the birds. Oh, for so, pity's sakes. I've never heard of it, Karen, so thank you. I'm, you'd have to, you know how cats, it'd have to be color-coordinated whatever you put on your cat because otherwise they they really wouldn't like well, it. Well, these are like psycho colored um, tie-dye, all kinds of amazing oh, things. Yes. And they come in, you'll love this, they come in rainbow, they come in turquoise, they come in purple, they come in large cat bib, a small cat bib. And um, let's see, how much are they? I was going to see the price. of twelve ninety five. So try it, see it. If it works and decide if, you know, your cat wants a pretty co colorful one. But that's that's what my vet said. I didn't get one for my cat because I thought it would be cruel. Maybe I still should because she still attacks her. Um, <laughs> but Jennifer. And purple. And you purple, know, yes. Or, Maverick or uh, Viking fans <laughs> exactly. to get their cat out there. So the, the other thing, and I know you're very well aware of this, are catios. Oh, yes. Another thing that, that works for cats yes. that want to be outside, but... You don't want them, uh, you know, pillaging the landscape of everything either. So Yeah. And yeah. Jen Jennifer and Lily also said, I also heard once that you put out a feeder, you have to fill it forever because the critters will come to depend upon it. I call BS on that, but I figure that I should check with the expert. Jennifer, you are right on that. So if you're... Uh, if you're somebody, we have snowbirds, if they're feeding everything and they say, man, I, I got to go right after Christmas, I got to go to Arizona because uh, I don't like the cold anymore. So do I dare put up a feeder? You bet. Uh, you know, the birds have, uh, have survived forever without us. So we just make their life maybe a little bit easier by providing some food out there. So feed them up to the day you leave. 
they will go over to the neighbors. They'll just forget all about you, and you'll have to work hard to get them back when you get back home, but they will come back. So keep uh, feeding them. One more, John from New Elm. My guess is he said the chipmunk got in your garage, ran out of food, and died. One time oh. he said, I found a dead cat in Dad's garage that probably got in when the garage door opened and couldn't get back out when the door shut. Well, this squirrel, we, we're in and out enough every day that I think that it could have got out if it really wanted to. So yeah. I, Okay, he has one more thing, and I know sure. you're going to laugh. Okay, this is for Al. He goes, Al knows this one. No. When does Christmas come before Thanksgiving? Oh, I do not. In December. I in suppose. the dictionary. In, oh, well, of course, in the dictionary. You know, he puts that curse on me when he says, well, Al will know this one. No, that's right from that point, the brain just slams shut. So, hey, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. You know, I, I mentioned I was in Haines, Alaska, and I was at the Mountain Market, which is, uh, well, it's a... Uh, a place where you go to get vittles. So I was looking over the food offerings in a cleverly arranged display case when a young woman came up from behind and uh, grabbed me lovingly and said those sweet words every man longs to hear. Babe, I worry about cross-contamination with those two foods together like that. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been married a long time, so I responded with an oft-used reply, whatever you think, dear. <laughs> and hearing my voice, which wasn't that of her similarly attired fiancé, caused her to drop me like a hot potato. <laughs> Again, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you and Gail, and um, and I hope to hear back from Jennifer and Lily to see if they got that cat bib. <laughs> I, I I hope somebody gets it they, so we can hear about it. Maybe they'll have a Black Friday special discount or something. <laughs> they should. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.